Former Trump campaign chief Paul Manafort has been indicted for crimes related to lobbying that took place primarily three to five years ago. But while the charges have nothing to do with the Trump campaign itself, special counsel Robert Mueller may have just inculpated top Democrats and the Obama administration. We'll analyze. Then, finally, at long last, roaming millennial is back. Alicia Krauss and his eminence, Paul Bois, join the panel of deplorables to discuss Kevin Spacey's gay out-of-jail-free card, John Boehner's bitterness at Republicans and praise for Obama, surprise, surprise, and why soy boy BuzzFeed betas have so little testosterone. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. I can't really knock these BuzzFeed betas, by the way, because these stupid glasses make me look like a hipstery pajama boy, but more on that later. Okay, let's get to the main story. The Democrats have their first scalp. Former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort has been indicted on completely unrelated charges. Uh, they also got Manafort's right-hand man, Rick Gates, and they've apparently also reached a plea deal with former campaign advisor George Papadopoulos, not to be confused with George Sukalupagus, who is the former Clinton war room Clinton spokesman who pretends to be a journalist on television. This is George Papadopoulos. Nobody, it seems, has yet pointed out that the indictment almost certainly inculpates top Democrats, including Hillary's campaign chairman, John Podesta's brother, Tony. For context, Hillary Clinton was spotted hobnobbing with Tony Podesta just this weekend, just like two days ago. Right now, in so much as this indictment suggests that the Republicans colluded with Russia, whatever that means, we know that the Democrats colluded with Russia at least as much. And really, from all the evidence available to us, the Democrats committed far graver misdeeds in colluding with Russia because we now know that Hillary Clinton and the DNC paid a foreigner connected with Russia for alleged dirt on Donald Trump to skew an American election. You know, like like the thing that they've been accusing us of for the last year incessantly. But yeah, they did. We have evidence that they did all of that. She then lied not only about the $12 million price tag for that uh, document, but she also absurdly denied any knowledge of it whatsoever. The president's reaction was typically Trumpian. He said, Sorry, but this is years ago, before Paul Manafort was part of the Trump campaign. But why aren't crooked Hillary and the Dems the focus? With five or five question marks. He goes on. Also, there is no collusion in all caps and all, you know, exclamation point. Now, it is worth noting, it appears that President Trump has deleted every tweet about Manafort from his timeline. So the White House is not happy about this, to say the least. Former Trump campaign advisor George Papadopoulos is cooperating with the special counsel, and he apparently tried to set up a meeting with Russian officials for the purpose of warmer American relations with Russia. You know, to have a Russian reset or something. In order to, and these are his words, increase his importance as a policy advisor to the campaign. So we know that some campaign aid was offered dirt on Hillary. He apparently tried to get his hands on it. So what? That doesn't, who, we, we know the Democrats did this. We know they paid millions of dollars for this. And I won't even knock them for it. I will not knock Hillary Clinton for her oppo research per se. I will knock her for the ridiculous hypocrisy of accusing your opponents of doing the very things that you do. But every campaign does this. Every campaign tries to get oppo. They try to get dirt on their opponents. That isn't why Papadopoulos struck a plea deal. The crime that he committed was lying to the FBI. This is always a bad idea. Do not lie to the FBI. You, they will find you. Uh, and, but the focus on Papadopoulos is a distraction away from Manafort and the Podesta group and why this case wasn't prosecuted for so long. We're not talking about crimes that happened six months ago. We're talking about crimes that happened five years ago. So why wasn't it prosecuted? 
The federal government had all of this information before the election. Why is it being prosecuted now? The text of the indictment points to our answer. It reads, quote, as part of the scheme in February 2012, Manafort and Gates solicited two Washington, D.C. firms, Company A and Company B, to lobby in the United States on behalf of Yanukovych, the party of regions and the government of Ukraine. For instance, Gates wrote to Company A that it would be, quote, representing the government of Ukraine in Washington, D.C. I know what you're thinking. Who exactly are these elusive companies A and B? The indictment goes on. Quote, to minimize public disclosure of their lobbying campaign, Manafort and Gates arranged for the Center for a Modern Ukraine to be the nominal client of Company A and B, even though, in fact, the center was under ultimate direction of the government of Ukraine, uh, Yanukovych, and the Party of Regions, tied to Russia. It goes on, at the direction of Manafort and Gates, Company A and Company B engaged in extensive lobbying. Who are they, Company A and B? Well, we know that five days ago, NBC News reported that Mueller is investigating Democrat lobbyist Tony Podesta. The reason that name rings a bell is he's the brother of Hillary's campaign chairman, John Podesta. Now, this report went on and showed that Manafort had organized a PR campaign for this front group, the European Center for Modern Ukraine. Podesta's company was one of the firms that worked on the campaign. The Podesta group also violated the Foreign Agents Registration Act because it only filed as a foreign agent when it was exposed that they hadn't. So they got called and then retroactively they, they registered as one. Just this afternoon, this broke about an hour ago, Tony Podesta stepped down from the Podesta group amid the investigation. All of the available evidence points to the indictment inculpating not only a major Democrat firm for undisclosed lobbying on behalf of Russian interests, not only a major Clinton crony, but actually the brother of Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman. We're talking about lobbying efforts that took place between 2012 and 2014. That's at least three years ago. That's up to five years ago. What took so long for the prosecution? Well, I don't know. What do we know about Barack Obama's executive agencies during that time? We know they were highly politicized. We know they selectively prosecuted perceived enemies like Dinesh D'Souza. They targeted conservative Tea Party groups through the IRS. We know they ignored major scandals like Fast and Furious, Hillary Clinton's email scandal, on and on and on. Is it possible that the Obama administration didn't prosecute this case for years because it would have implicated top Hillary cronies in the run-up to her presidential run? The timing sure does make you wonder. For analysis, we bring on our expert panel of deplorables, Alicia Krauss, His Eminence Paul Bois, and at long last, finally, an answer to my prayers, the one and only roaming millennial. Roaming, welcome back. First question to you. Is this indictment a win for Democrats, or are Democrats going to hope that they never called for this special counsel? Um, I would say that it's not necessarily a win for Democrats so much as a giant loss for Manafort, who I think we all kind of suspected it was was a shady character. Oh, you um, seem squeaky clean to me. I don't know. You're talking about like that very heavy, <laughs> angry look that he always wore? Uh, connections that were coming out. Um, no, I mean, I, you know, I'm someone who I look at this and I, like you said, don't think this directly leads to collusion by the Trump campaign specifically. Um, but I think, you know, from what I've seen, a lot of Democratic experts analysis and commentators aren't really taking it that way. Um, but what I think all these investigations have shown us is that the corruption in at least the Democratic Party and their campaigns is, is definitely not squeaky clean either. And I would love to say that, oh, you know, th this is great. This is going to increase accountability for them. I don't think it's going to change anything really. And, you know, frankly, with this whole who's who, like hot potato game of who's been collaborating with the Russians, I don't think we're ever, I don't know. I don't 
I don't know if we're ever going to get that satisfaction or the vindication of like big prosecutions, like people like Hillary Clinton actually being held accountable or I don't know. I'm not I'm not optimistic that anything will change. But I do know that from what I've seen, people who are against Trump, the Trump campaign are very, very happy about this. But is it even a big deal? I mean, we don't know who colluded with Russia. We don't really know what that phrase means anymore because either everybody did it or nobody did it. Uh, I mean, what's what's the meat? I'm, I'm of course, this apparently major Trump apologist who will just defend anything he does. But Me too. That's um, I knew I knew I liked you, Romy. Right. But, I mean, when we actually look at what some of these things are, um, things like opposition information and research, personally, I wouldn't see that the same way as, like, election rigging, right? And there, there is a difference to be had there, and the term colluding with Russians is pretty vague. When we're talking about transferring millions of dollars, though, I, I think that is that is substantial, especially to a foreign entity. I think that brings up questions of campaign finance laws, if nothing else. Um, I, I'm not sure about the legality of it, just, you know, just inquiring after, um, I guess, uh, opposition research, though. That's true. And, you know, every every campaign has oppo research. But we know that in this case, Hillary Clinton's campaign gave $12 million to, to get this oppo. So that <laughs> so does raise a, a lot of questions. Thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Alicia, the White House is insisting that this indictment says nothing about President <laughs> Trump or his campaign. Are they lying? Or is this indictment, to borrow a phrase, a nothing burger? Uh, I think that it's hard for both sides to say that this is a nothing burger, but also I think that you're going to see both sides. A friend, Carol Markowitz, who writes for the New York Post, brought this up. She's like, this is where you see both sides say there's nothing here, and this is where you see the true fans of both sides truly come out. The Hillary Clinton Democratic, you know, DNC fans are going to say nothing, dis- or look at there, look at the other guy, and then the Trump people are going to say, oh, well, he didn't collude. There's nothing to see here. Manafort's a good guy. Look at what Hillary and Podesta did. And so I just like to say shoe on other foot. We need to hold our side as accountable as you know we would want the Democrats to be. And and I just got to say this news cycle is amazing because now Matt Walsh and Ben Shapiro and yourself have just used the names in so many ways. Although I do think it's really disappointing. I'm a fan of Sarah Huckabee Sanders as the White House uh, communications oh, person. Great. Now she's much better than than Spicer ever was. But I got to say like she's now using a, an excuse that the Obama administration used of quote unquote lower level staffer. Remember mm, when we heard that right, a time right. after time? I mean, next we're going to hear that Donald Trump is just finding out about these things from TV. Also another excuse that was often used by the Obama administration. So Sarah, I love you, girl, but come up with better talking points about this specific issue because you're reminiscent of the good old days of Where's Waldo when he was behind that same <laughs> podium. And I think we can certainly both agree, whether you prefer Sanders or Spicer, <laughs> that they are both vastly inferior to Mr. Mooch, Anthony Scaramucci, the <laughs> finest man to ever hold sort of that position. I Yeah, you have a soft spot in your heart for him, don't you? Oh, you know it. He's probably my cousin or something. Yeah. And as, you know, also on this whataboutism, we should should make clear the indictment on on Manafort is for lobbying that went on years ago, that Mm -hmm. went on between 2012 and 2014. Which is people like myself speculated, why would Donald Trump hire him in the first place when he had had these connections Mm -hmm. and had been known by numerous politicians and and corporations and groups and lobbyists, et cetera, in D.C. as a guy that was Putin-friendly. And that was a red flag to a lot of conservatives way back during the primary when Donald Trump hired him in the first place. I think it was just to get through that convention. I think he hired him 
as a, a, I think he fired him shortly after the convention, and he wanted to basically knock out poor old Ted Cruz. But I don't know. I mean, he had connections going back a long way to Stone, who, you know, Roger Stone also owned a company with uh, Paul Manafort. Mm-hmm. So it is murky. I agree. It, it is unclear exactly well, what Corey Lewandowski, Manafort's influences. You know Corey Lewandowski is somewhere. I don't know what he's up to nowadays, and I don't really care, but he probably <laughs> woke up really happy this morning <laughs> yeah, that's... because he and Manafort were known to have at it in Trump Tower and not get along very well. And um, Ivanka and Jared Trump sided with Manafort originally mm. because they wanted Lewandowski out as campaign manager. So it's just, I wish I were a fly on the wall just to, to see the happenings of, of what the Trump family really thinks about this behind closed doors. And, uh, you know, Corey Lewandowski is probably doing a happy dance today. Christmas came early for Lewandowski, <laughs> yeah. no question. Your eminence, Mr. Bois, the indictment lists company A and B, one of which, if I were a gambling man, I would say is the Podesta Group. Now, they did undisclosed lobbying for which Manafort is being charged. Why hasn't Mueller named those companies? Why hasn't Tony Podesta been uh, indicted along with Paul Manafort? Well, we know from a uh, NBC News report uh, that was posted like just about an hour ago uh, that most likely that the company's e- company A and B is Mercury and, of course, the Podesta Group. Uh, now, my reason as to why he says A and B could just be because one of those are named the Podesta Group, and that just automatically just puts uh, John Podesta out there uh, front and center. Uh, and I think uh, possibly they just want to keep it all focused on uh, Manafort and uh, the Trump uh, campaign. Um, and as to why John Podesta uh, has not been indicted yet, I mean, he has stepped down. Uh, we'll wait to see uh, what materializes in the next couple of days uh, to see if an indictment is on the table for him. So we know that Tony Podesta just stepped down as the head of the Podesta group amid this investigation. Do you uh, do we wonder why this hasn't been prosecuted until now? They had this information for years. It's between three and five years old. Do you think, Mr. Bois, that uh, this has something to do with the corruption of the Obama administration and the run-up to Hillary Clinton's pres- uh, presidential run? Uh, absolutely, I think so. I mean, we all know that this uh, Trump-Russia collusion thing is completely cooked up, and yeah, I I would not. Uh be afraid to speculate that, no. Well, I would, because you might end up like Vince Foster or somebody, man. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to get into those conspiracy theories. Now, we do have to get into uh, Kevin Spacey cashing in his gay out-of-jail-free card, as well as the beta males at BuzzFeed. But if you're watching us on Facebook and YouTube, you got to go to dailywire.com. We can't give you the rest of the show. I'm sorry. you got to go subscribe. Thank you to everyone who's already been subscribing. You help us keep the lights on. You keep Kofefe in my Tumblr. Uh, for those of you who don't, go to dailywire.com right now. It is $10 a month or $100 for an annual membership. You get me. You get the Andrew Klavan Show. You get the Ben Shapiro Show. Yeah, I know. When is this over, Michael? St- well, how about this? Huh? Does that change your mind? The Leftist Tears Tumblr. Let me tell you, folks, on this indictment Monday, things are looking really bad for the Podestas, and they're throwing Hillary Clinton in with this, too. There is going to be a, a surplus of leftist tears. It's going to be pouring out of the walls. Uh, You've got to make sure that you have the appropriate vessels so that you can collect them and enjoy delicious, salty leftist tears, hot or cold, no matter how you like them. So go to dailywire.com right now. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
after 58 years. Kevin Spacey has finally cashed in his gay out of jail free card after being accused of trying to seduce actor Anthony Rapp 30 years ago when Rapp was only 14. Spacey sent out a statement neither confirming nor denying the incident and then he came out as gay. A revelation only slightly less shocking than the sky's blueness and water's wetness. Roaming. Oh, I'm sorry. I'd like to start with Alicia, actually. Was Spacey's first response, the, the response, yeah, I don't remember if this happened. It sounds really awful. By the way, I'm gay. Look over here. I'm gay. Was that too clever by half or was it the best response he had to work with? I think that it was a very cynical but brilliant move by his PR team because as we saw, the mainstream media decided to run with the headline as Kevin Spacey, award-winning actor, comes out as gay instead of addressing the accusations that a now 40-plus-year-old actor made about him that, from a molestation attempt when he was 14 years old. I mean, it's despicable. And it was also very disturbing for me to read Spacey's words saying, well, you know, I was drunk at the time and I don't remember if this happened or not. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've all probably had a couple too many drinks and we would know whether or not something like this happened or had we perpetrated such a crime. It was very vague in its explanations. It wasn't black and white. He should have, if, if he knew that he wasn't guilty of this and he could have said, no one else, you know, these people will vouch for me. No one else can say that this ever happened. This never happened again. I'm incredibly embarrassed, you know, something. But he didn't really take ownership of it. But he didn't dis deny it either. And, and I mean, I'm not an attorney, but from my layman's view of it, it looked as if he acknowledged that, yes, the event did happen, but look over here because I'm finally coming out of the closet. And now we're hearing more and more reports. There's been a lot of uh, people posting on social media that they have friends and family members that have also been assaulted by Kevin Spacey. And Netflix announced just before your show started, Fox News, CNN, and numerous other outlets are covering it, that House of Cards has been officially canceled canceled by Netflix. Well, that should have been canceled because the show's no good anymore. I mean, it was so good. Season one was that the first best season one. was great. Yeah. But it was really, I, this season, it's my favorite show and I couldn't even finish it. So maybe they were just looking for an excuse. But it is a lot. And this actually brings up a point. I was tweeting out some snarky comments last night about Spacey. And actually, I, I was a little surprised that conservatives were so happy that this guy in particular is going down because he always struck me as sort of quiet, private, doesn't rub his politics in our face. But, you know, I, I tweeted out uh, something to the effect of, uh, you know, the gay out of jail free card and all that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. A gay friend of mine texted me this morning and he said, you know, comments like that are really flippant and they're myopic because this is a, a phenomenon that has happened in the gay community since the ancient Greeks that confused gay teenagers will look to older gay guys in their 20s or 30s and those relationships are prevalent and they happen and, uh, and to pretend that they don't and to pretend that all gay relationships should be exactly like heterosexual relationships or is, uh, misses the point or it's off pitch. I don't know anything about it really. I can only take his word for it. Now the that this seems similar to basically what Milo Yiannopoulos was saying and what destroyed his uh, career, you know. Does, uh, I mean, it, it, when people make comments like that, is it just apologism for pederasty or pedophilia? Or does our rote reaction uh, risk turning a willfully blind eye to a phenomenon that is more common than we think? Roaming, what do you think? Well, I think just because a phenomenon may or may not be common, that doesn't mean it's acceptable, permissible, or moral. Right. Course, and I yeah. think as a society, we in general, we tend to minimize uh, assault or molestation when it's against young boys. And I think that's awful. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, just uh, hearing I forget the actress name, his account of the incident 
I mean, you know, he was of this age, but he clearly, I think, doesn't feel like this was just this normal thing and it doesn't matter or, you know, anything like that. This is something that is very serious. And I've, you know, I have heard people in the gay community, men in the gay community talk about these uh, younger, older male relationships as if they're just this normal thing, kind of almost that's, like that's a That's where the word twink comes from, right? That's a, you, know, right. you hear that term like, all the time. No, no, this this is abuse. And, you know, regardless, like we can throw around words like pedophilia, pederasty and kind of debate what like what is the age that it actually is pedophilia? I think regardless of, you know, strict definitions like that, when you look at it, these are relationships that have an unequal and uneven power mm -hmm. dynamic and where I think people are taking advantage of others. And I don't think I don't think it's all right. And I really feel for these young men who are maybe confused and in these situations who have these predators who are out to take advantage of them. I think, I and think, I think if, if it's true that Kevin Spacey did this, it's awful. And I think and that I, even that, since the Harvey Weinstein stuff, it's been become more apparent to me via friends and families and acquaintances and people's stories of unfortunately how many young men in our society are sexually assaulted um, that mm -hmm. really weren't uh, like the spotlight wasn't put on them during the hashtag Me Too campaign. And this is a problem that exists for men and women in the country. And I think Roaming brings up a really good point that young men and, and teenagers teenage boys are typically not looked at as victims. I mean, we've seen this with the, the sexy teacher scenario. Yeah, where were those right? teachers when I was yeah, in school? Right? Exactly. And, and really making light of these types of assaults on young men in the country. And I think it's something that needs to be addressed for sure. Mr. Bois, I always kind of liked Kevin Spacey, as I mentioned. You know, he was a private guy. He's a very good actor. He generally isn't too political. Um, why are some on the right so gleeful that he has fallen down? Uh, I think it's mostly because what, by Kevin Spacey falling down, it's exposing the broader culture of sexual abuse in Hollywood. Uh, this has basically morphed now in just a couple of weeks from Harvey Weinstein to it's a full-blown scandal in Hollywood akin to the Catholic Church uh, that happened uh, over there a decade ago. So it's it, it's big. And so now no longer Hollywood can stand on their pedestal and go lecture us and say, oh, you, you conservatives need to stop. Now reality has finally hit them and the fire is spreading and... I think they just see Kevin Spacey as just another one, and they want to know who's gonna who's gonna drop next, who's gonna be the next big name, who's gonna be the next big A-lister. Uh, unfortunately, you know Kevin Spacey, it's happening to. I mean, we've had Ben Affleck uh, be accused of groping women, and uh, doesn't yeah, appear that Why can't that he anything. fall? Why can't we keep Kevin Spacey and knock out Affleck? That guy's such a jerk about his <laughs> politics. Well, I mean, to get into some more conspiracy theory range here, mostly it's because Ben Affleck is uh, the front man for Justice League, and I don't think Warner Brothers uh, really wants their uh, front man for one of their top franchises to, to fall right now, so they're going to do everything they can in their power to ensure the media tries to just downplay his allegations there's also, a little bit more. There's also a very big difference between a 26-year-old man assaulting a 14-year-old boy and Ben Affleck, who allegedly was a serial cheater. I mean, this is why Jennifer, a lot of the rumors were fueled by why Jennifer Garner decided to finally leave him after a decade of him cheating on her numerous times, uh, inappropriately groping a woman at a club. I mean, that I feel True. like this is something that we talked about on an episode of Lady Brains over on Ricochet with my girlfriends the other day. All of us women have been, quote unquote, victims of sexual harassment in the workplace at some point in our lives, unfortunately. But there's a big difference between a dude trying to smack your ass, excuse my French, you know, at a bar when he's drunk and you can respond to him versus a man luring you to his apartment, picking you up, throwing you on the bed, and then tr attempting to molest you. 
Oh, I, I, I absolutely agree that the severity of Spacey's allegations are far, far worse than Ben Affleck. I'm just talking about, you know, the uh, how far is the industry going to go with this? I mean, are they going to take allegations against Ben Affleck seriously uh, as they've done other people in the industry? Because other uh, executives in the industry and agents have now been let go amidst harassment allegations. Mm-hmm. Or are they just going to, you know, stop it with Ben Affleck and say, okay, we're not going to let him fall. So that's mostly what I'm well, saying. Well, I think it was specifically well, I- with the Spacey thing, more people need to fall because now it is coming out that it was a known thing by the cast and crew on his sets to keep young boys away and that is incredibly disturbing if it was known by the cast and crew then it was known by higher ups and it was known by agents and it was known by parents I mean it's it's just it's appalling to me I would never agree to work with someone let alone stay silent if I knew that that was their behavior Rummy. And I think there is also a big difference in how the media is treating things like Spacey and Affleck versus people like Weinstein. And uh, there's also Terry Richardson, who was the photographer, because, you know, these are people who are generally behind the camera, behind the scenes versus actors who we all know and can identify in studios have a lot banking on their faces and their public image. So I think if, you know, studios had to choose between who they want to protect more, I think they would be more invested in protecting the actors whose faces and reputation people care more and know a lot more about mm-hmm. than people behind the camera like Weinstein. That's the asset. All right, speaking of abuse and assault, we need to get on to the people assaulting and abusing our country. Former <laughs> GOP House Majority Leader John Boehner is lashing out at conservative fellow Republicans like Mark Levin and Congressman Jim Jordan while he lavishes praise on Barack Obama. He accused Rush and Sean Hannity of having gone to the, quote, dark side. He reserved one-word, four-letter epithets for his House Republican colleagues. And Boehner said of Obama, quote, Some would argue on the right that he did more to divide the country than to unite it. But I kind of reject that notion because it wasn't him. John Boehner, our former leader, ladies and gentlemen. Roaming, does he have a point or do these stupid comments just vindicate conservative criticism of John Boehner? Honestly, I think they just vindicate the allegations that he was a rhino, not a real conservative. And I know I'm someone who also felt very let down by John Boehner. I remember when he was uh, first given speakership, he he actually teared up when talking about how much he loved small business. I don't know if you guys remember that, but he actually did cry um, when he was giving his first speech. And to the, to in fairness, he also <laughs> cries when he orders appetizers at lunch. So you know, it's a more That's common true. phenomenon. Like he orders his next spray on tan. But yeah. um, just, just I think he kind of represents the, you know, GOP establishment um, par for the course, not really looking to change anything. And so I'm, I'm actually not surprised that he's doing this. And I see him the same level as I see people like John McCain, who, you know, they're just part of the establishment, and they, they look at these. Um, I, I mean, people like Trump, but also um, other members of the GOP, I don't know, people like Ted Cruz or Rand Paul who aren't really towing the party line. And I think they care more about politics and protecting the status quo than actual conservatism. I don't even think of John Boehner as a conservative anymore, quite frankly. So I'm not surprised that he's saying all these things. Mm-hmm. Alicia, are the conservative media, are, are we unfair to politicians, regardless of what you think about Boehner's extremely stupid comments, are we unfair to them? You know, it's very easy from a studio with cameras mm-hmm. to throw stones at people who aren't being conservative enough, but these guys have to go out there, appease constituencies, strike deals. Should we have more empathy for our Republican politicians? I gotta say, I would jump to defend the great one Mark Levin, but I can't wait to listen to his radio show tonight because I'm sure, <laughs> and I know that he is more than capable of doing that for himself. And uh, 
full disclosure, I did produce the Sean Hannity radio show for seven <laughs> years uh, for the great American. And even though Sean and I sometimes disagree on politics, during the time that Boehner was speaker, Sean was incredibly fair to then speaker Boehner. I personally booked him numerous times on the Sean Hannity radio show, heard on over 500 affiliates nationwide, folks. I even think that Sean helped him with a couple of re-election things. And it, and it is unbelievable now how the tides have turned and he's like moping in his whiskey mm. with a cigarette hanging from his mouth. <laughs> like, you know, I Sean and Rush there, Limbaugh and Mark Levine, Levin were so rude to him at the time. No, I, and, and then even, even a couple months ago, he did an interview where he talked about it's all talk radio's fault that we got Donald Trump. No, the beautiful thing about this country is our First Amendment that it allows Michael to sit there in his grandpa cardigan and say what he wants. Grandma it allows, cardigan. Okay. Yes, I'm sorry. It allows, it allows the great American Sean Hannity to, you know, sit in his studio in, in New York and talk about what he wants to talk about. And consistently, I actually think that you've seen that talk radio tends to represent the true voice of constituents and the true voice of the American voters far better than John Boehner ever had a grasp on. And that's why he lost his power. Mm -hmm. Absolutely right. Mr. Bois, I have interacted with many Republican politicians who have more contempt for their own base than they do for their opponents. Do Boehner's comments validate this Bannon view of the world that we've been seeing, that the politics is not divided between right and left primarily, but primarily between the people and the elites? Oh, absolutely. I think so. This is just oh, right in line. Argument. Yeah, I think uh, this is just right in line with the John McCain's uh, and the Mitch McConnell's just, you know, it, clearly not being a team player, uh, just just throwing uh, people, there's hardworking people you know, under the bus and uh, it turning Trump into some, you know, ogre that's like part of this like ugly nationalist uh, populist uprising and, and there's no legitimacy to it. So absolutely, absolutely. It only fuels, a, like like Ben Shapiro said, this is the reason why Trump won and it will only fuel his win in 2020 if they want to keep going like I'm this. I'm almost sick and tired of it, frankly. There's so much winning. Okay, now we have to get on to our final story of the day. This is science. We, we don't want to neglect science on this show. We're not science deniers. From our friend Amanda Prestigiacomo at The Daily Wire. In an experiment on male attractiveness, where BuzzFeed fellas compete to see who's hottest, four males had their testosterone levels tested. Not one, these are Amanda's words, by the way, but they're just so beautiful. Not one BuzzFeed beta male met the average. Rather, all the men testing below the level of a typical 85-year-old male. Moreover, three of the four men tested below the average range, and the male with the highest testosterone level, Eugene, still had a relatively low T-score. Now, this is a really personal issue for me because these stupid glasses that I have to wear make me look like a little soy boy, too. Roaming, why does our culture seem built for pajama boys? Well, you know, with this whole BuzzFeed thing, I saw this actually yesterday, the day before on Twitter originally, and I was shocked, but also not that shocked. I mean, it, it kind of explained everything. Everything started to make sense. And when I look at the guys in BuzzFeed, they're just the exact embodiment of what third wave feminism wants men to be and wants them to become, right? These beta cocks who have as much testosterone as the ladies on The View, right? And that's kind of what these tests confirm. <laughs> well, but how do you really feel? <laughs> but no, seriously, um, I look at them and I look at these test results and I think they are kind of the, I guess, the realization of the current narrative we're seeing that attacks toxic masculinity. And I think, I mean, I don't want to make too broad generalizations or assume motives or things about people who may adhere to the progressive viewpoint, but 
I do think that a lot of the men I see attract to that, all the activists, BuzzFeed, Vox, whatever, HuffPo, they do kind of seem on the lower end of the testosterone mm-hmm. scale. And I think that a little says a lot, loafers, of, a a lot about away the from ideology. A happy meal. And, yep. mm-hmm. Yeah, how, how much the, they tend to play into things like emotion versus things like facts and logic, which tend to be uh, things associated with higher testosterone, masculinity, and men in general, which obviously these BuzzFeed individuals are not. Do we have a cut of these guys just for a little context on what we're talking about here? Today we're gonna find out which one of you guys is the hottest Try Guy, scientifically, of course. Hotness, it's science, baby! What actually makes a man attractive? Today, more than ever, society and media appreciate hot men. Like us, for instance. And we wondered if that sexiness could be boiled down to a science. We're here to find out if the prevailing theories about male beauty have any truth to them. And we hear the test subjects. The Try Guys are going to be conducting six experiments. We're gonna draw our blood, measure our faces, and all sorts of wacky shit. I'm gonna win all the categories today because I'm the most beautiful. Beautiful Keith in the rest. Marshall, can you please destroy these glasses for me? Can you take these wherever you, like a nuclear waste site and make sure that they never see the light of day again? Thank you. Alicia, is this a generational trend or is this just more evidence that there is a huge divide between the American people and these weird elite elites that are in media and journalism and government. I mean, giving those guys the benefit of the doubt, I think they were kind of making fun of themselves yeah, there. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's very humorous. I'll have to go watch the full thing. But I actually <laughs> think that any uh, conservative men that are watching your show right now should be rejoicing because you have to compete with that and that ain't much, guys. So get out there, <laughs> get married, be fruitful and multiply. This is my plan for conservatives to take over the United States again. <laughs> I, I don't know if I've mentioned this before. Uh, the then governor of Indiana, Mitch Daniels, I was talking to him one time at an event in Indiana, and we were saying, listen, the, it's looking really dire. All, all the, Obama was president. Everything was against us. What do we do? How do we, how do we win the culture and win the politics? He said, well, you can either persuade them or you can find a nice girl and get married and outbreed them. I yep. promise you the latter is more fun. It does sound <laughs> more fun to me. Mr. Bois, your eminence. A study came out recently which showed that more effeminate men are also more likely to be socialist, which surprised, again, exactly nobody in the whole world. Um, now, this, doesn't this observation imply that our political views are not entirely rational, but also shaped as, by something as elemental as hormones? Or else it just means that masculine people are more rational. Doesn't this throw into... Uh, chaos, our idea that facts don't care about your feelings and we have access to rational truth? You know, that is a very interesting question. Well, about, that's why uh, I asked it, pal, because I think it's pretty interesting. <laughs> uh, as far as, you know, hormones uh, relate, I mean, it certainly is built into the male character, uh, absolutely, that a male character is supposed to, uh, the male is supposed to lay his life uh, on the line uh, for the sake of his community and his family and uh, his wife. And I think the moment that that identity has gone out the window, which certainly has in the past 50 years, and uh, man and males are just uh, basically sitting around and pleasuring themselves and consuming things, uh, I think the more uh, effeminate uh, their okay. outlook By the way, on the before, world I just becomes. have to cut you off there. Do you, 
Do you have a camera in my apartment? If you put a camera in my apartment, Paul, take it out right now. It's a crime. Hormonally, men are always going to be males, and they're always going to have that aspect, that, that natural part of it. But uh, the socialization of them, of turning that into that energy, that power, into something that, that's useful, uh, once that goes away, essentially what you're going to have is just basically a bunch of uh, boys, overgrown boys, and that's, that's what happens. Roaming, are our hormones, are they controlling our thought processes? Are we just little people riding on the big elephant of the subconscious or can we rely on our faculties of reason? I think we can rely on our faculties of reason and I don't think hormones mean that you know no one is logical no one is rational I just think hormones mean that some people who tend to be more feminine and effeminate males or women in general rely less on their faculties right and we've seen this in multiple studies men and you know people who are more masculine whether it's men or women in terms of like their hormone levels they they're more rational more logical they care more about facts and you know um hormones like estrogen which women have in abundance and apparently the buzzfeed men probably do as well um that tends to make people more emotional and more into feeling and things like that and i think when we look at leftist arguments um, a lot of them are based on emotions versus actual hard facts. A lot of them are trying to make government into some big compassionate family, um, which is generally the domain and realm of women. So, you know, I, I don't think it's that no one's thinking everywhere. We're all just slaves to our hormones. I think it's just that for our hormones kind of guide how much or little we depend on our facts and logic. And for some people, that's a very, very little. Roaming millennial channeling Jack Nicholson in As Good As It Gets. How do you write women so well? I think of a man. That is all the time we have for today. We've, we've covered all of the most important news right down to the soy boys. Panel, thank you for being here. Roaming millennial, one of our earliest panelists, our dear favorite, and uh, Daily Wire's Alicia Krauss, Daily Wire's His Eminence, Paul Bois. I am Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Come back tomorrow. We'll do it all again. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Marshall Benson. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. And our associate producer is Bailey Lynn. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2017.